0: Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, November 15th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about five minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for this coming Sunday, and the Sunday of November 20th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Of course, that's 5.30 a.m. Central Time for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota. Our little team's working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C., And this will be the final Sunday in year C, and that puts us in the Gospel of Luke. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Bill Hall,
1: St. Petersburg, Florida. Charles Wood, Minnesota. It is now raining and snowing here.
2: Sarah Mickelson in Tampa, Florida, where the garbage trucks just went by.
0: (laughs) And I'm Don Upton, and this morning I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and I hear geese going by outside my window. And our lead for this week is Sarah Mickelson. She's been working carefully to get questions together so that we can have this conversation. Thank you in advance, Sarah. And how are you doing?
2: Good morning. I am. I'm tired, but I'm good. Thank you. Um, Christ the King Sunday is the the moniker put on this particular Sunday. It's also known as the Reign of Christ Sunday, which I'm a bit more comfortable with. Uh, the text we have to look at this morning Luke chapter 23 verses 33 through 43, and as I start to read it, you're going to recognize that this is a part of the Easter um, passage that we normally visit, Um, so I'm going to begin in verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And one of the criminals who were being hanged there kept deriding him, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And and we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus said, and then he said, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." And he replied, "Truly, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise." And that ends the reading of our scripture. Um, I'm still standing with the juxtaposition of Christ the King and the passage that we have to read today. Um, the other thing that struck me this week is pronouns in this passage. So as a reader, how do we hear and understand the use of the pronouns they and we as they're working in this passage? The word they is, I think, six times used in this passage. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to park that. Um, my second question, and I'm going to read all three of them before we get started. Um, Brian his in his cross marks, cross marks commentary, points to verse 34a which is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, he adds that based solely on ancient manuscript evidence, where these words are missing in a number of early and diverse writings, scholars conclude that these words were probably added later. What impact do these words bring to this text and to our modern ear? And my third question, how does this passage describe and define who Jesus is, and maybe is not, and why we might read this passage on the reign of Christ or Christ the King Sunday. So those are my three questions. i go back to question one. How do we hear and you, the use of the pronouns they and we working in this passage? Bill, have you got anything for me?
3: First of all, Sarah, as I told you in the pre-recording, uh, <laughs> your your questions were challenging. I had never paid attention to this uh, in this passage. So thank you for um, inviting me and us to a fresh perspective. So here are my first impressions as I began to work on it and some that evolved later. Uh, First of all, as is my custom, I want to note for us that this story is recorded in all three synoptics, Matthew 27, Mark 15, and here in Luke 23, with some significant differences, one of which I will note in one of the other questions. Um, So each of the synoptics tell this story. Uh, In our world Sarah it seems to me the we they framework has a somewhat negative connotation we will talk about a discussion or a conflict and if at least in my brain if we characterize it as we they we mean we are setting ourselves up as better than they that that it's a a dividing the more I thought about it um, there's a reality to that uh, there, for example, let me be concrete. In our world today, there are, at best, vastly differing ways of understanding who Jesus Christ is. And I think, at worst, it, in an extreme, it's almost like people are creating almost totally different Jesuses. For example... The health and wealth gospel, if you love God, you will be wealthy. If you aren't wealthy, there's something deficient with your faith. And Christian and our white nationalism, they claim to follow Jesus Christ. I have not met that Jesus, to put it very bluntly. So my point is, there's some reality to this we-they with the risks involved of feeling superior today. And there's a, what your question did for me was to highlight, and in your next question we'll get to the other side of this coin, but there, there's a we-they in this passage. The majority of the people in this particular narrative are mocking Jesus, crucifying him, Gambling over his clothes Um, There is A they And there are Only two uh, People Jesus and one of the thieves Um, Now I'm about to finish Um, One other point And we again alluded to this In the pre-recording It reminds me of the power of language and that we can use inclusive or exclusive language and way of identifying each other. But um, again, uh, thank you for stimulating my thinking with your question. Charles, what do you think? I think I'm always
1: I was going to say, taken aback, that's not quite the right word. Uh, I'm always surprised by the different ways that language and works that we read strike us. In this case, um, I I admit I was puzzled, and I'm I'm enlightened by Bill's comments. um, And so I thank you, Bill.
2: John, what are your thoughts?
0: It's the lectionary always gets a pair of scissors out and cuts a piece out of the Bible, and for us, it's usually out of the New Testament uh, gospel. And it's cut away from a book where the wees and days are a lot clearer. There's someone, Jesus sees someone, and they say, or he's with a group, and and it's much clearer. And uh, this This is a mess, and and I'm expressing that. It's hard to answer the question because it, even the commentators are going through, going, not sure, maybe. Mark Davis in his writing going, oh, that day, I think that's the soldiers when you use that day. And it's like, hmm, and so is it okay, uh, Madam Moderator, <laughs> for me to go, you can't get there? It's such a short passage, and there's so much being thrown around. Maybe there's another way to look at the pronouns. I'm not saying I'm dismissing them. I'm saying it's a And And that maybe there's a big they first. There is definitely a big they. This is a public place, and there is a big they. And then there's a the subpart they, which is hard to get to. We use them as But there is a big they. This is a public place, I think, that can be seen. I've never been there. I think, Bill, you can see it from a distance, and you can walk to it, and you can stand there, and you can be as close as you want. But I think there's also a road nearby, and you could pass by and see things. So it's a public place, and it's, so it's, it's a big vey. As for the rest of them, what if they are lost in history? And if so much time has passed, it's hard to find the, the little vases. And I think that, that might be instructive that we always go to witnesses of events and we ask them what happened. Each had a point of view uh, that includes the business of the execution. And uh, the big they saw the condemnation carried out and the subparts are doing a lot of different things, inclu- including hurling insults. But I can't really get to them. And the they as soldiers. Uh, but I, I'm going back to big they. And if that's the case, then one thing's clear, this happened. There was a public execution and those three uh those three died that day. uh so I'll say big vase era is this complex mix of governance and cruelty and culture and codes and regulations and associations and family and passersby by that I cannot untangle. But I'm voting for the big day, that it's all there. And each of those words I just used, and we could go on a hundred times more, those are people. And all I can say is this has been cut away from this gospel. And on its own, it won't hold up. But then Christ dying on the cross doesn't hold up on its own either, does it? So I'm going to go to the most mundane, Complex answer, which is everybody, which makes me think about what is what lasts. The memory does not last. This, this kind of memory does not last. Those witnesses have passed. Living memory is gone. There's a different memory, which we would call communion and the Christian fellowship of the church. This ain't it, and it doesn't stand up on its own. And I think if love lasts, then I feel drawn to say. There are people who are incarcerated today. This is a Tuesday morning. There are people going into arraignments all around us, hundreds if not thousands of people. There are hundreds of thousands of people incarcerated. There are wars going on. There are POWs. There are people who are going to lose their lives today, people who have been kidnapped. And uh, it makes me think very carefully about the they and since it's the they is this complex mix, uh, I feel drawn to Jesus' message of love, that so there are people even today who have lost their liberty. So that's my starting point anyway, Sarah.
2: You know, I see them as grouping pronouns. Right? We use them today. We use them today, the four of us, um, to group participants or listeners or our friends or not we use them to to group them together um it's interesting for me how i can be separated from they and included in we and for that reason the juxtaposition for me um interestingly to be included with the vase also includes me in the forgiveness. If I want to stand separated in the we's, I don't think the wee's get forgiven. <laughs> I'm sure they get forgiven, but the idea being it puts us in a position of whether we're actively a participant in the crucifixion or if we're an observer in the crucifixion that's passive or if we find ourselves included in the they's. I think this is the beauty of these pronouns for us. Um, There are moments where we acknowledge, recognize in in great humility that we are a part of the they in this story. And there are moments where we stand with our chins kind of poked out maybe a little bit with a certain sense of, um, inappropriate pride that we're a part of the we's, you know, that, that sense of recognition. I I found myself uh vacillating between these two groups this week in thinking about this passage. And I would say that don't you know we are in full desire of that forgiveness that is given to the they's. And I think that, that we acknowledge we need to feel comfortable working in both groups and recognizing we're members of both groups. Um, so I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, I, I, my, my note actually reads, they keeps the offense away from me, and we includes me in the forgiveness. How often do I use this perspective to elude the offense and receive the grace? and not value the grace because of that. And I think that's the sweetness of this particular use of pronouns. I also wonder about, because the vases are not described with detail, it makes it easy for us to um, put ourselves in that shoe a little bit. Um, also, it it often has been used to put others Um, on the other side of some conversation. Um, And I I think there's some good work of reconciliation that needs to occur when we choose to separate ourselves with the they and the we, or the them and the us. So um, with that being said, question number two. Brian Stauffergen, in his Crossmarks Commentary, surprised me by offering up these words that um, verse 34a might have been added later than this passage originally was written. Um, and it I made me think about the value of these words and how I see them, hear them, and, and uh, value them. So what impact do these words bring to this text and to the modern ear? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Um Charles do you have any wisdom for me? No I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> what about you Don?
0: It's interesting okay. that it lags in terms of being inserted into the book. I, I I don't it's it's so tempting to be playful with it, you know, and uh, I I can't. I don't know I don't know what to say. Uh, I almost may do what Charles said, but just i 'll just offer one note uh, I grew up in the church, and this was laid out to me as uh, a declaration which is universal, which is and I embrace that that there's the cosmic universal statement there. I also think we can have it the other way too, both ways and i'm wondering if it was. Maybe it was present in terms of the storytelling and severed, and then when it got seeded into the text was later on that it was actually removed and taken out. And the reason I think that might be the case is it's personal. This is the book of Luke. This is the book of Christ seeing the people. You know, the, we're, a book where the days and the weeds are very clear, except until we get to this. And the conversation, you know, the very direct conversation that we've recorded, and his sermons, and they're the they people listening. So what if, because this text does make it clear that there's different dynamics going on, for instance, the soldiers are talking to each other, not, you know, and Jesus is talking to those beside him, and, and, and. There's these many things, the little they, so, and then there's the big they, so I'm just going to offer that he is addressing something he's seen. He is addressing a smaller day. And whether someone hurls something at him, whether it's the soldiers, maybe it doesn't matter, but he hears something, something happens, something personal, and we get back into the book of Luke here instead of this mess. And what we lost in history is He's talking about something, something incredibly personal or with a small day that he addresses. I am not trying to cut away the cosmic here. I think we can have it both ways on this one. What if the struggle, whether or not this is in or out, is, well, that's not the universal declaration that we want Christ to say. And I'm like, well, maybe it is. So I think they know not what they do could also be something that's happening right there. In vision, in earshot, and I—I think that would be great. Uh, and you can lay in the cosmic all you want. That's my best shot there.
2: Thank you, Don. What do you think, Bill?
3: Um. Again, Sarah, your question brought something to my attention. For some reason, at least in my memory, I had not caught. That this verse, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing, is bracketed in the New Revised Standard Version, a signal of what you just noted, that it's not in the earlier manuscripts. Um, It reminds me and us of a similar controversy over the early part of Chapter 8 in the Gospel of John, verses 1 through 11, the story of the woman taken in adultery. Look it up. It's bracketed because it's not in the early manuscripts. Now, some scholars wonder if, in fact, the story is authentic, and the early transcribers and those who copied thought that was too radical, Jesus forgiving a woman taken in adultery. That's scholarly speculation. Here's where I am with that story, and this Father Forgiven. I want them to be included, Sarah. <laughs> On an emotional level, I want the Jesus that I follow to say, Father, forgive the executioners and Father, forgive this woman who has violated uh, the Torah standards. Um, I think they are authentic even if Jesus did, in fact, not say them originally. I think they are congruent with the spirit uh, of Christ. And whatever we think about whether or not they are included, it brings us face-to-face with the challenge of forgiveness. If you assume, uh, if you allow it to be included, and by the way, the New Revised Standard Version includes it. (laughs) It just notes that it's problematic. There are two declarations of forgiveness. To those who aren't repenting, and to the one who—I'm not going to insist that we believe the second thief was repenting, but at least he engaged in a very human dialogue with Jesus that would be similar to uh, of an acknowledgment that Jesus was in some way special. So there are two groups, if you please. Who are forgiven, the crucifiers and one of the thieves Um, Jesus' words to the second thief are unique to Luke I noted earlier this story is told in all the synoptics Only Luke includes this dialogue with with the other thief. Matthew and Mark simply call them rebels And gives no indication that one of them uh, had this uh, conversation um, and it brings to mind for me the dual nature of forgiveness. We are commanded to forgive, <clears throat> forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us, as, as we are forgiven. Um, the, you, I've made this note before. There are at least four or five Greek words that we translate with the one English word forgive. This particular word in the original text is the one that means to release, like opening your hand and letting go. It's my favorite Greek word for forgiveness. For, to me, to forgive is to let go. Now, what we let go of is still there. Forgiveness does not magically erase the effects of sin. Jesus resurrected was still Scarred When we Wound somebody the scars May remain even if There's genuine forgiveness So again Sarah To me however one wants to settle The issue of whether or not To include it um, the, The issue of Forgiveness is powerful And certainly it is Christ Like to forgive Those who offend us
2: I uh, I kind of agree with you, Bill. Um, I think these words are valuable. I think they're valuable because if, if we look back um, at any one point in our lives or the lives of the people that are in the story presented with us this morning, there are opportunities to be better humans. And we often, I think... As a general rule are at least aware of those moments where we have fallen short and it gives me comfort to hear Jesus say these words and it gives me comfort to to imagine him knowing in full awareness that they really don't know what they're doing and and that he or 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 that that forgiveness is is within reach of them, um, too. Um, you know, I, I kind of fall into the camp of no human being is a wasted human being no matter what. But I'm also aware that sometimes we do feel farther away from home, like the prodigal, farther away from home than we can imagine, and that we don't imagine we can ever get home again. And so I like these words for that reason, that, that home is, is only a position or a, a, a perspective away and that we can turn our bodies and find our way back. Um so that for me is is of value. I do think that um it's interesting to read this passage without these words. And I um it makes me want these words to be there. So I'm kind of uh, I fall into the camp. <laughs> so I need to hear them. And uh, and and I think that's the other pieces. That's what I'm hungry for. Um, it's like that one spot in the movie where their hands almost touch, and then they don't touch, and then they do touch. And it's like, oh, I love that part. So... Um, I kind of fall into that camp of what does it mean to really express forgiveness to someone else um, and and what does it mean to feel that forgiveness? I mean that's the other thing this particular line brings up to the to the reader. so for me, those are valuable, and I think that they're re, they're relevant and valuable as as much now as they were at the time when they were written into this particular passage or when they occurred. Um, that might be the other piece of the puzzle. So question number three, how does this passage describe and define who Jesus is or maybe is not and why we might read this passage on the reign of Christ or Christ the King Sunday? I think this is the, the, the great lectionary question that goes with this passage on, lex- on this particular Sunday for year C. Um, as we finish out the year, why, why is this passage Christ the King Sunday's passage? What do you think, Charles? Well, I was really going off the
1: wall by suggesting that it had to go somewhere. Oops, my <laughs> phone is now telling me
2: <laughs> that it's time to stop.
0: <laughs>
2: it had to go somewhere. I love it. Well,
1: you you all take it until I get myself shut off here. It it starts to sound like this when it's 6 o'clock. That's the problem. Now it went away. I, I have no explanation. I don't, and I don't, it's, 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 we can contrive what we can imagine what might be uh, an explanation but i'm not sure it's an explanation it's simply right now it is the way it is and we are confronting it um, in the same in the same space so the question is what do we make of it and i'm i'm still puzzled
3: what about you bill uh Beginning by building somewhat on what Charles says, we need and I say this kindly, the lectionary is a contrivance. It 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 was developed centuries later or evolved, okay? And again, that's not not a criticism. For example, for reasons I do not understand, the lectionary leaves out in luke the first verse of this narrative it begins with verse 33 verse 32 says two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him now we know that from the narrative that that jesus was being crucified it's a mystery to me why the lectionary folk chose to leave that out because as i mentioned last week uh I read the introductory verses of the widow putting coins in and then the the lectionary passage about wealth and uh, putting trust in the temple and architecture and so forth and insisted that Luke set a context that we need to pay attention to. And so for me, again, I take Charles's Caution that he's offered us We can't know for sure What Luke meant But I do know what impact Luke's framing has on me Today and Luke is saying Folks what you need to understand As we move in this narrative Is Jesus and two Criminals were led away To be put to death with him Jesus was numbered with Common criminals And I think Luke at least for me, he sets the stage and highlights the powerful humiliation intended by the Romans who were executing Jesus, and whereby they wanted to mock the kingship of Jesus Christ. So if if we're uncomfortable with the term king, and I'll say a little more in just a moment, we have to deal with the fact that the image was very real then, and the Romans, it seems to me, wanted to mock Jesus because he was not their kind of king. Um, but I think for Luke it is, and, and the gospel writers, it is critical that we understand Jesus' lordship in a revolutionary way. Again, it's, it's powerful that only one person in this pericope, this narrative, recognizes and affirms in some way jesus's power, paradoxically one of the thieves beside him, one of these common thieves uh, has the dialogue that 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 is there. Uh, Mark Davis in his article, as you noted, Sarah is uncomfortable with this term. If you want to hear a a, a contrasting view, tune in to the working preacher. Um, dialogue for this week and listen to mark skinner his my takeaway from his words is that he thinks if we don't want to use the word king or anything like it we're avoiding dealing with the reality of power or agency as we now call it and um I was at a FAST meeting last night where we were talking about people power. (laughs) We're a social justice program, analogous to uh, HOPE at Palmasilla Presbyterian in Hillsborough County. Power is real. And if you want to make change uh, in our working for social justice, we want to identify the people who have the capacity, the power to make the difference that we want. To approve money or policies or, or whatever So it, it just It would be worth it for you to listen To Mark Skinner's take on that Now What for me Sarah is most important Is another frame that Luke Offers in chapter 2 With Mary's <clears throat> song And I will just remind us Of several verses um, He has shown strength with his arm He has scattered the proud In the thoughts of their hearts He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away. Another statement, I think, of Jesus' mission statement. He offered his own, as we know. And then in the lectionary for this week is a portion of Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord, a few verses later. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. That's the kind of king Jesus Christ is. Nor shall any be missing. And then, Sarah, you shared with us the hymn, Praise the Lord, the King of Heaven, a majestic hymn. One verse says, in part father like he tends and spares us well our feeble frame he knows in his hand he gently bears us rescues us from all our foes alleluia alleluia widely yet his mercy flows thank you for reminding us of that beautiful poem and hymn Sarah
2: you're more than welcome Uh, literally I could not stop humming that this week I don't know why And I went hunting to to remind myself of all the words, since I was, you know, in my head singing them, but not in the right order, apparently, as usual. Um, I, you know, I really liked how this passage could be put parallel to the language used by Samuel to defend why God didn't want to give a king to the the Hebrews the Israelites at the time when they were when they were just yelling that they wanted a king and Samuel going but he'll take your young men he'll take your your energy he'll take your crops he'll take your things and i was reflecting on how does that live out or is it represented by the powers that are crucifying Jesus now and the contrast between what humanity deems to be kingship and what God would ordain as king. very different. And I think this passage really lifts up for us what that looks like when we um visit both definitions of, of kingship and we we look at our own particular scenario or our own particular life that we're living And we recognize we need the Creator's kingship. We need Jesus' forgiveness. We need to live past what we would consider our own desires, our own hunger for power, and and value what it means to live creatively with the Creator. Um, And so I really found myself vacillating between these two ideas of kingship and these two perspectives of what the reign of Christ might look like. And, uh, and all I can say is thank goodness even to this very moment I am being redeemed. And, um, and so it's really valuable for me to see that this is still a work in progress and that we are living into the reign of Christ and away from the reign of man our our humanity um, in that regard. Don, you get last word. What do you think?
0: We've looked at it through a couple different dimensions here. I want to go to the lectionary because this is the struggle. So if we had started this year, this is year C, and we are ending year C now. So for our listeners, next next time we're together, we're in year A. This is the... End of the old church calendar now. The year is over. And this is what they chose to end the year with. Isn't that interesting? What if we started year C knowing this is the end and said, by the way, we're going to read this alongside every gospel passage in Luke as we went through year C? What would that have done to the conversation? It would have changed things for me because, first, it's really awkward to end here but I do want to say the electionary committee says we will end the year with this. Wow. Uh, and, and, uh, and I think, uh, I think there's a challenge here to think why, what's the intentionality about doing ending here? It's, it reminds me of uh, Easter week. Uh Pastor Bill, you know, if you had Monday, Thursday, if you had services on Friday, what is our tradition when the service is over? Silence. Walk away. You're kind of in the middle of the story. Sometimes this is the story we read to. Silence. We are ending year C in that silence here, um, and it helps me play because I'm struggling with this, but it's helping me put that in context that. This is the meditation to end all this discussion and all this work. Tough. Um, So I would say as we end this, I feel like I'm I'm getting out of my church pew on Easter week before Easter Sunday in silence, which is our tradition, and filing out. And I also think that in in that darkness – this process, this, this happened, this, this execution, that the G in that, in that world that Jesus is remembered at all is, is, is amazing. Because this is, this is where history gets wiped clean. Not only does living memory pass quickly, which it does, the they, the big they in that room, maybe the story's passed a generation or two and then it ends. He should be wiped out of history, but he's not. So, I don't know that human memory does the job, but this do this and remembrance, and this overwhelming silence that comes at the end of Year C, um, maybe it's also a reminder that uh, there's a different kind of memory and remembrance happening here, which is just foreshadowed here. You know, we don't we don't go there yet. Um, we're about to go into Advent of all places, Le um, and Mont. Uh, so I, I think I haven't felt the gravity of ending like this. we've been through this many times, year C, this family. Um, but I, I guess I want to use that for the listeners as we all prepare, go take a look at year A get ready for Advent, but this is how we're, this is how we're wrapping it up. That uh, Jesus is not, you know, the lectionary team always is, you know, scissoring out the pieces of the gospel you know, we take we only get a few passages every week as if it were on its own, and it's part of the fabric. And here's Jesus. There's an attempt to rip Jesus from the entire fabric of history here, uh, and it doesn't work at all. So those are my thoughts, Sarah. I, I know we're at the end of our time. Let me just go around and see if if our last conversations here raised anything else before we say goodbye.
2: Well, you know, what's fun is there's going to be a big chorus of angels singing. Hark the Herald Angels sing soon.
0: Yes. Well, uh, for those listening in, uh Pharmacia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street, that's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to pharmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that site to you because great sermons, discussions, differences of opinion, Sunday school classes, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion. So check that out, and uh, we're looking forward uh, to beginning our Year A journey with you in just a few Welcome, and we'll see you next time.